reading this morning is taken from Psalm 116. It can be found in the Old Testament portion of the Bible on page 605 or on the overhead. The writer of this psalm is praising God for saving him from certain death by responding thankfully in worship. I love the Lord, for he heard my voice. He heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Then I called on the name of the Lord. Lord, save me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I trusted in the Lord when I said, I am greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfill my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You have freed me from my chains. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you and call on the name of the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning. It's uh, nice to be with you again. Um, most of you probably know who I am, but in case you don't, my name is Graham. I had the privilege of uh, sharing with you for pretty much a year last year uh, before Gary arrived. So uh, it's nice to be back and, and see you all again. We're going to look at uh, this psalm, Psalm 116. Before we do that, how about I pray? Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word that is unchanging. We thank you that it speaks to us of who we are and uh, who you are your greatness, your love, your compassion towards us, and especially the great love that we have through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We pray, Lord, that as we look at the, the words of the psalm this morning, we may be encouraged to stand firm for you and to live for you day by day. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, we love to use acronyms. You know, sort of a word that's made up from the first letter of each of the kind of words that make up the, the full description of, of what it is. So, NATO, North Atlantic Treaty Organisation, very good, is a more tricky one. SCUBA, very good, I heard it, I think I heard it all there. Uh, I recently learned that Bupa, you know, the company that uh, runs aged care and has been in the news for all the wrong reasons lately actually stands for the British United Provident Association. So what about this one? Tan Stuffel. 
<laughs> I didn't make this up. I found it in, in Wikipedia, so it must be right. <laughs> no, no takers. I'll tell you, it stands for there ain't no such thing as a free lunch. <laughs> you would never have guessed that, I don't think. Uh, apparently, according to Wikipedia again, uh, it's a phrase that has its origins in the traditions of the, the saloons in the US in the 1800s and uh, the tradition that they had of providing a free lunch to patrons who ordered at least one drink. Of course, the meals were full of salt, which made people thirsty and so they would buy more and more beer. Uh, I guess the bottom line is that in the real world, you shouldn't expect to get something for nothing. No such thing as a free lunch. Even when it seems to be free, there's going to be a price that you pay one way or another. In the end, you're going to pay. Don't know if you noticed, uh, as this, uh, Esther read the psalm out to us, that there's a question in verse 12. Uh, and uh, the writer of the psalm asks, what shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Uh, and it's interesting if you are following it in the Bibles, which is the older version of the NIV, it's a bit different. It says, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? Now, you and I know, I'm sure, that the message of the gospel as that is that eternal life, life with God that we can enjoy now and indeed for eternity, is indeed a free gift from God. It's not something that we can ever deserve because of any goodness in us. We can never earn it through our own religiosity or our good works or because we feel, you know, we've done our best to be a good person and tried to look after other people. There really is absolutely no way in the world that we can ever repay God for what he has done for us. And I guess if we can't accept that eternal life, this great gift of salvation, is an absolutely free gift that comes to us from God because of what Jesus has done for us in his death on the cross and accepted, of course, by us through faith in Jesus. If we haven't really understood that, then we haven't really understood the gospel. Uh, the same is true indeed of the blessings that God gives us each and every day. Uh, you know, the little things, the, the kindnesses that we experience from God, the way that he just provides for us in times of plenty and in times of hardship and disaster. Even in the midst of the crises and, you know, the disasters of life, there's that sense that God is there. We'll, we'll see that as we delve a bit further into this psalm. How can I repay the Lord? Bottom line is we can't. We can never repay God. The world may tell us that there ain't no such thing as a free lunch, but the gospel tells us that God's goodness to us is a free gift. It is free. Uh, that's why I think actually the newer translation uh, of the NIV is much better. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? We can never repay God. But what is my response to God as I think about all the good things that God has done for me? And of course there is an answer to that question. And I think we'll see that as we work our way through the psalm. But let's go back to the beginning. So it begins with a declaration 
of love for God on the part of the, the writer of this psalm. We don't know who, who actually wrote the psalm. He says, I love the Lord, for he heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy. Because he turned his ear to me, I will call on him as long as I live. The, the love for God that the writer of this psalm has, it flows out of the knowledge that God has heard him. It's a lovely image, isn't it? He turned his ear to me. I don't know whether you've ever done a course or training in active listening. Um, there are skills that we can learn and develop for really deeply listening to another person, really fully concentrating on, on what it is that they are saying. Our temptation is that we're often thinking about what we're going to say next rather than listening carefully to what's being said. Uh, just taking the time to understand what's being said and to, to be able to reflect it back accurately, that we've heard what they're saying. I think uh, sometimes our, our families and our workplaces and our community and even our churches would often be better places if we were really good at listening to one another. So God is an active listener. But with God, it goes deeper than listening well. Uh, as many of you know, I've worked uh, a number of years as a chaplain. And to be a good chaplain, whether it's in hospitals or prisons or um, school or police or the ambulance or military, to be a good chaplain, you've got to be a good listener, an active listener. It's a, an essential part of the training that we do for this kind of ministry. And there have been many times in my ministry as a hospital chaplain that I've just listened as people have just poured out their story and often it's a story of loss and sadness and, and grief and most of the time what I can offer is a listening ear uh, and, and a prayer for them and they're really valuable things, they're important things but most of the time there's very little if anything that I can actually do to change the circumstances of the person as much as often I would like to be able to do something. I'm limited. God, of course, is not limited in that way. And I think when the writer of the psalm says, the Lord heard my voice, he heard my cry for mercy, he turned his ear to me, he means that God has not only heard, but God has actually stepped in and has changed things because of his prayer. God hears the prayer and he acts. He does things. Now, I'll come back to that in a moment. But just first notice the way that um, he describes here his prayer to God. He says that the Lord has heard his cry for mercy. Now, just think about that for a moment. Sometimes our prayers seem more like a, a kind of shopping list of all the things that we would like God to do for us. It can almost sound like a list of demands that we lay before God and we expect Him to do these things for us. We think that we know what is best for us and this is the way that God should answer our prayers. But a cry for mercy. That's a prayer that trusts in God to know what is best. It's a prayer that trusts in the goodness of God, as we'll see in a moment. 
It's a prayer that asks God to hear us and to act, but to act in accordance with his purposes. And when you think about it, that's the way Jesus taught his followers to pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What comes next? Please do what I want you to do. Notice that. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. That, that's a cry for mercy. It's a prayer for God's will to be done. Notice also here um, the persistence in prayer. It says, I will call on him, not just when I've got a big problem that I can't sort out on my own, but as long as I live. And then in verse 3, he tells of the crisis in his own life. It's not very specific about what is happening, but I think we get a sense of the power of the emotions behind it. The cords of death entangled me. The anguish of the grave came over me. I was overcome by distress and sorrow. Do you remember the story of Jonah in the Bible? How uh, when the sailors threw him overboard into the raging sea, it says there, the engulfing waters threatened me. The deep surrounded me. Seaweed was wrapped around my head to the roots of the mountains. I sank down. It sounds like it was kind of nightmare where you just feel trapped and you can't escape. Think of Jesus in the garden immediately before he was arrested, just before his death. It says that being in anguish, he prayed, and his sweat was like drops of blood. Perhaps you know from your own experience that feeling of just being overwhelmed, that sense of desperation, utter anguish, where really the only prayer that you can utter is the three-word prayer that's there in the second part of verse 4. Lord, save me. Just those simple four words, the Lord save me. Perhaps physical danger. I don't know whether you've ever, um, even in the surf, been caught in a rip. Just sense yourself being pulled further and further out from the shore. Uh, maybe a snag just pulling you down, down, down into the water. Uh, perhaps the, the pounding waves just hurling you towards the rocks. Or maybe driving your car in that split second when you know there is absolutely nothing that can stop your car from colliding with another car or some immovable object. Or perhaps it's, it's more an emotional distress than a physical one. Perhaps a, a devastating medical diagnosis. Uh, I've been doing some work this year uh, as a chaplain at Westmead Hospital. Earlier in the year, uh, one Monday afternoon, uh, I met a man, mid-50s, in the neuro ward. He was sitting up, bright, alert, uh, and uh, when I introduced myself as a chaplain, uh, he indicated that he himself was the minister of a church. Uh, and he told me that just the day before, he'd, he'd been preaching in the church there, and it had been a, a large service that he'd been leading, commissioning some missionaries. But some of the regular members of the church noticed that there was something different, something a bit disturbing about his, uh, 
his behaviour and the way that he was speaking and they, they urged him to see a doctor. Monday, he was there in the hospital at Westmead waiting for an MRI scan. Tuesday, he was told that he had several tumours in his brain and would require an operation. Thursday, he had the operation to remove the tumours. Then on, I think it was the following Monday, he was told that the tumours were melanoma and that the prognosis was not good at all. How would you pray? How, how would you pray if you were the wife of that man? Lord, save me. Not a bad prayer, is it? As the writer of this psalm thinks back to the anguish of that time, whatever his circumstances were, when, when all he could pray was, Lord, save me. Now he deeply reflects on the goodness of God. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary. When I was brought low, he saved me. The Lord is gracious and righteous. He's thinking back to that time that's recorded in the book of Exodus. Do you remember when the Lord spoke to Moses from the cloud on Mount Sinai and God made himself known to Moses? The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. It's always good to reflect on the goodness of God. Sometimes the circumstances of life in which we find ourselves may seem anything but good. We may not feel very good about what is happening to us. We may not feel very good about ourselves. But the Lord is always gracious. The Lord is always righteous. The Lord is always full of compassion. The Lord protects the unwary, says the psalm. Those who are the most vulnerable in society. I guess in Old Testament terms, it's often the widows and the fatherless. In today's terms, the homeless, the poor, those who are lonely, refugees, asylum seekers, those dealing with mental health issues on a daily basis, those struggling perhaps with complex issues of their own sexuality. When I was brought low, he saved me. Who knows when or how or in what circumstances we may find ourselves in that state of utter vulnerability and helplessness. Sometimes you can sort of see it approaching, it's kind of like a train wreck in slow motion. Sometimes it just strikes us out of the blue. Circumstances can change just in the blink of an eye. But God's goodness never changes. The Lord is gracious and righteous. Our God is full of compassion. That never changes. Let us not forget that. I don't know if you noticed, but um, throughout this psalm, there are times when the psalmist seems to be speaking to other people. This is his kind of testimony. He's proclaiming what God has done and he's, I guess, challenging those around him to also put their faith in God as he has done himself. 
There are other times um, when it's clear that he's speaking directly to God. We'll see that in just a moment. But in verse 7, he actually seems to be speaking to himself. Return to your rest, my soul, for the Lord has been good to you. Return to your rest. We think of rest, you know, putting up your feet at the end of a, a hard day, uh, just relaxing, not doing anything too much. The Bible, Bible's concept of rest is, is much deeper, it's much more profound. And it really goes back right to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. Chapter 1, of course, tells us the six days of God's work of creation. Uh, and then when we get into Genesis 2, it tells us that by the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing. And so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. And then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy. So do you think that means that God had been working so hard for those six days of creation that he was just at it by then and needed a rest? It's not the sense of it at all. It's that sense of completion. It says that uh, in Genesis that God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It's just as he wanted it to be. And so God finished. God rested. Uh, that concept of the Sabbath day, the seventh day is a day of rest. It's enshrined, of course, in, in the Ten Commandments. Uh, even if we perhaps in our 24-7 you know, kind of society have largely lost sight of that. That concept of one day in rest, day of rest, is sort of seen as the exception to the normal of six days of work. And yet here, the way the writer of the psalm expresses it, rest seems to be the normal state. Return to your rest. That's how things should be. I haven't got time to look at it now, but in Hebrews chapter 4, there's a passage there that draws out the connection between rest, as the Bible speaks about rest, and heaven itself. And the passage speaks there about believers entering God's rest. And the flip side, how those who harden their hearts against God will never enter his rest. This place of rest is where God himself is to be found. Now we think of heaven, uh, yes, uh, certainly, but that's not quite what the psalmist is thinking about here. It's very real and here and now, but there's this sense of peace uh, that comes from knowing God and being there where God is. Uh, some of you remember the, uh, the blessing that comes at the end of the Holy Communion service in the Old, old Prayer Book talks about the peace of God which passes all understanding. That that peace of God may keep your hearts and minds in the knowledge and love of God, the Son Jesus Christ our Lord, and the blessing of God Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit be amongst you and remain with you always. To which we all say, Amen. Peace of God. Uh, the writer of the psalm here he goes on to think about this great salvation that God has granted to him in the midst of his troubles. And that becomes his prayer to God from verse 8. For you, Lord, have delivered me from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling, that I may walk before the Lord in the land of the living. And then he speaks to the people. 
I trusted in the Lord when I said I'm greatly afflicted. In my alarm, I said, everyone is a liar. Only God is fully trustworthy. I think that's what is being said there. Other people are going to let you down. In the end, they can't be trusted, but God can. So it comes to this question that I mentioned right at the beginning, verse 12. What shall I return to the Lord for all his goodness to me? Or as the older version puts it, perhaps uh, I think less helpfully, how can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? And he answers his own question, although it really is a bit cryptic, isn't it? He says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. I will fulfil my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. So it's a response of praise and worship. Uh, I will lift up the cup of salvation. Uh, that's a pretty unusual expression. There are passages in the Old Testament that speak of, of people having to drink from the cup of God's wrath, God's judgment because of sin. Uh, that's what's in Jesus' mind. Remember in, in the garden, uh, as Jesus prays that, anguished prayer before he is arrested and then subsequently put to death on the cross and he prays my father if it is not possible for this cup to be taken away unless i drink it may your will be done and the cup of course that jesus knew he had to drink was the sacrifice of his death on the cross taking on himself the punishment for our sin and yet think back a bit further to what happened just immediately before Jesus went to the garden to pray. Remember how he gathered with his disciples in that upper room? It was a traditional Jewish Passover meal, although it was more than that Jesus added to it. But part of the Passover tradition was that they would often read through some of the Psalms from the Old Testament. And apparently this Psalm 116 was one that may well have been read, even as Jesus shared with his disciples in that Passover meal. This is just kind of speculation, but you know, I, I sort of wonder whether maybe Jesus had in mind the words here of this psalm that talks of the cup of salvation. Remember how Jesus took the bread and broke it and shared it with the disciples. And then he took the cup. When he'd given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I will lift up the cup of salvation. Call on the name of the Lord, says the writer of this psalm. Perhaps that's almost a kind of private act of worship and, and praise to God which is interestingly then followed by a more public declaration of his faith in the presence of all the people, probably in the temple where the people had gathered to worship the Lord. I will fulfil my vows to the Lord, he says, in the presence of all his people. And then the psalm ends by just kind of repeating almost exactly the same thing. I will sacrifice a thank offering to you, and call on the name of the Lord, I will fulfil my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord, in your midst, Jerusalem, praise the Lord. 
But I skipped over a couple of verses here. I'm going to just spend a few moments uh, as we conclude this morning thinking about them because I think they help us to see a slightly different dimension to this. And they're quite confronting. It says, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. Truly, I am your servant, Lord. I serve you just as my mother did. You freed me from my chains. So he's been thinking about some life-threatening situation in which he had found himself. Talking about the cords of death entangling him and the anguish of the grave. At that time, whatever was going on, he thought he was going to die. His life was in dire threat. But God, in his compassion, saved him. God rescued him. He didn't die. What if God had not rescued him? What if God had allowed him to die? I mean, there are plenty of stories in the Bible and indeed in the history of the church where God has sometimes miraculously stepped in and delivered his people, saved the life of those who believe in him. But again, in the Bible, and indeed in our own experience, there are plenty of times when God didn't. Read through Hebrews 11 sometime. Whether it's through persecution and ultimately martyrdom, or whether it's melanoma or heart attack or whatever it might be, God does not always intervene to save the physical life of even the most devoted follower of Jesus. I mean, the writer of this psalm is thankful beyond measure that on that occasion, God did save his life and hence his response of praise and worship. But if God had not rescued him, if God had allowed him to die, that would not mean that God did not care. It would not mean that God's compassion had failed. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his faithful servants. What a profound insight that is. What a deeply pastoral truth it is that we can hold on to. Our life. This physical life, it matters to God. Every human life matters to God. Perhaps, uh, sadly, that seems to be a truth that our society is losing sight of. Precious in the sight of the Lord. How can we repay God? <laughs> we can never repay God for His goodness to us and we can certainly never repay God for the great gift of salvation that we have through Jesus Christ. And yet there is, there, there must be a response on our part. It's simply a response of praise and worship. Praise and worship to God. Not just 
when we gather together week by week on Sundays, but in the whole of our lives, as we reflect on what God has done for us and his goodness to us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the great gift of salvation that you so freely give us through your Son, the Lord Jesus. We thank you, Father, for the good things that you bless us with day by day that we do not deserve, for which we can never pay you. Help us to respond as we think on your goodness in lives of praise and worship, not just in the formal ways when we gather as your followers, but as we live out our lives day by day. We pray it in Jesus' name.